Welcome to the Victorian Parent Council VPC Parent Podcast Series. VPC is a registered charity organisation dedicated to everyone who support parents in educating their children. I'm Jackie Vanderveld, your host today. Welcome. Deanna Dow, it's lovely to have you with us again. Uh, we've got Deanna back and I think we're saying uh, Happy New Year, aren't we? I know it's March, but Happy New Year to you. <laughs> yes, Happy New Year. I'm glad to be back. Uh, it's good to have you too. And uh, good evening, everybody. My name is Jackie Vanderveld. I'm uh, facilitating uh, this discussion tonight with Deanna Dow, who is an academic coach and, and has, has very kindly, um, from True Coaching, has very kindly come back this year to uh, to run several sessions across the year around, uh, you know, best study habits, tips and tips and tricks but also to some uh, really good pointers, I think, for parents to actually encourage their, their students with. And we know that it's been such a, a tricky, tricky, that's been being a bit kind. It's been a really awful couple of years, hasn't it? Um, and I think that we, we're all we're looking for new ways of supporting our, our young people as they're getting to that business end of, the business end of schooling. And this is particularly pertinent for our high school students and, and those that are in the, the last year of school. So Deanna, over to you. Thank you so much, Jackie. Uh, yes, as Jackie mentioned, I'm Deanna Dow, founder and academic coach at True Coaching, and I've been working with students for coming on to a decade now. And time management and scheduling, particularly at the tail end of high school, year 10 to 12, seems to be one of the areas that students need the most support in. So for tonight, I've actually collated some of the most uh, common strategies that we use with our students, hopefully to give some direction to you guys as parents and if there's any students on board on how you can um, direct those conversations about managing their time and scheduling their week. So I guess it's important to understand why students need to manage their time and schedule in the first place. And it's often because students express being overwhelmed with homework tasks, revision for class, test study, exam study, assignments, sports, work, family, friends, hobbies, just like adult students have a lot going on and trying to keep that balance between their classwork that they're getting, their social life with their friends, the time with their family, um, any work or sporting commitments which become particularly important and hobbies as well as things they don't even know that they probably should be doing like some extra exam study and test study and revision. So it can be really overwhelming for students to understand uh, where they need to start, how much time or effort they should dedicate to these things and how can they keep a balance to make sure that they're taking care of their own well-being as well. So we're going to go with, through a few different tips on, on how we can structure the week and, and maybe some of the parents in the room can get some stuff out of this as well. I've run this session for parents as well and adults, so hopefully you can all get something out of it. But in order to really understand uh, how the rest of the session is going to unfold, we actually need to understand what studying is. And there's a distinction between types of study and how much time and effort we should therefore be dedicating to it during the week. And one of the major distinctions as you get into senior high school is the distinction between homework and study. So many students are typically pretty good at doing their homework and handing it in 
whether it be on time or a couple of days late or the morning off, they're pretty good at understanding that they have a task that's been assigned to them and they need to actually hand that in. Whereas study, which actually involves revision and test preparation, it's a continuous process of learning new information, revising information you've learned in the past and, and honing your, your test and exam preparation skills, that's something that students tend to miss or don't make time for. And this study process is what we see typically leads to the biggest gaps in students' knowledge more than missing a homework task. So if we had to categorise them generally, homework are your assigned tasks with your clear due dates. And study is what we really need to be encouraging students to do pretty much from year nine onwards, which is really a lot of extra revision and revising what they've learned in class, studying maybe perhaps ahead or past units that they've learned, as well as test and exam preparation. So really what we're talking about is reactive learning and proactive learning. So reactive being I've assigned a task, so I should do it. And proactive being I know I'll, I'll be tested on this in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, six months. So I need to be keeping on top of the content. So that really is why this is so important because time management in general is less about when I'm going to do certain tasks, but how am I going to fit in all the things that I know I need to do to do well in school and to maintain a healthy social life with my friends and family and time for myself. So the rest of this presentation is really going to talk about um, how we can do these things coming from a few different angles with a few different tips in there. So I want you to keep in mind the distinction between homework and study as we go on. To really set the tone for the rest of the presentation, I have to address one of the most common questions that I get from students when we start to work with them is, how long should I study for? Now, when they enter a VCE, the school is inclined to encourage them to study more, so they give them numbers like four to five hours a night. They tell them that you really need to be studying quite a lot, you need to be revising and studying for SACs and revising previous content, and they just give them this arbitrary number of four to five hours. But the students often can't find that four to five hours or don't know what to do with it, don't know where to start and don't know what that means. So instead of asking your student how long have they studied for or instead of uh, responding to them with one hour or two hours or three hours or five hours, what we want to do is change the perception of studying and time in general from task-based rather than time-based. So task-based, not time-based. So instead of saying, I need to study for four hours tonight, rather it's, I need to complete my math homework. I need to write half a practice essay for English. I need to revise my notes from today's classes and I need to start my study for my biology test. A task-based model means that the student is not overwhelmed by the idea of studying four to five hours. They can focus more on the tasks that they need to get done and they're actually more likely to complete more over the course of the week. So the first step in actually moving towards a task-based model is to make a list of all the things you want to get done in a week. This is less about the things that have come up just for this week, but more a set or a, a set of minimum standards that you want to put in place for every week. So what are the tasks that I need to get done every week to make sure that I am on top of my homework, revising current content 
and ahead of the game for the test coming up. So we really want to look at what are my maintenance tasks? What are my proactive tasks? What are my reactive tasks? What is absolutely everything I need to get done? And you'll probably end up with a list looking something like completing your homework for each subject, which is variable, but it's ticking off the tasks that are assigned to me. Revising my class notes for each subject. So physically going back over the notes that you've been given in class and revising any gaps in your knowledge. Writing a practice essay that might be um, in VCE, we strongly encourage writing each week, whether it's starting with a passage, moving through to an essay or one or two paragraphs and building up, but really doing some um, active writing every week. Answering practice questions for each subject. So these could be exam questions or they could be extra revision tasks that have been given to the student. And probably the most important is actually asking the teacher questions, asking the teacher or your parent or your coach or your tutor, asking someone about the gaps that you've had that week to make sure that it's not a gap next week. What we've essentially done here is created a list of tasks and a list of outcomes that we want to achieve every single week. We can't create a timetable and we can't create a schedule unless we know what we want to fit into it unless we know what we want to get done. So what we want to do is encourage your students to create a weekly checklist, perhaps even go as far as daily. You can write on a daily basis that you want to do your homework, revise your notes from that day and complete four practice questions or do your homework, revise for the day and complete a practice passage. Really having a clear set of tasks as opposed to I'm going to study for three hours tonight without a clear task or outcome. The first major shift in creating effective timetables and scheduling is task-based, not time-based. So now we have our list of tasks that we want to get done. How do we actually ensure the students can be productive? And we do need to add some time value to these. We do need to assign times and we do need to make sure that there is some time limits associated to tasks so that they don't blow out the whole evening or that, that we can get them done in an evening. And that's really productivity more than it is time management. Now, I could run a whole workshop on productivity, and I'm sure we will later in the year, but to tell you one of our favorite tools, it's actually the Pomodoro technique. Now, this is one of the most common productivity tools globally, Pomodoro coming from the Italian word tomato, because the original, uh, I guess, founder of the, the method was Italian, and he got the inspiration from a tomato timer used to make tomato sauces. But essentially what the Pomodoro says, it involves three clear steps. One, choose a defined task that you want to get done. So already in order to use this productivity tool, we need to have a task list. So we've already got that. Choose one task. Complete question one to 10 of my maths homework. Write two paragraphs of my essay. Read chapter four from my biology textbook. A really clearly defined task that has a start point and an end point. Once we've determined that task, what we then do is set a timer for 25 minutes. Now, 25 minutes has been shown to be about the average amount of time that someone can stay focused actively on one singular task. So what you're doing by setting the timer to 25 minutes is that you're helping the student study in their time when they are most focused, but also 
if you asked a student to do it to study for 25 minutes compared to studying for three hours, that really clearly defined endpoint that feels short is going to actually help them with their motivation to get the work started in the first place. So we've chosen our task, which might be our 12 math homework questions. We've set our timer for 25 minutes. I personally use an analog timer, a physical egg timer, which takes me away from the digital space, but the students can use timers on their laptop if they're doing homework on their laptop, but we'd advise against using timers on their phone because that encourages them to look down at their phone. So you've set your timer for 25 minutes. You complete that task in 25 minutes. And just by having that clock on, students are likely to work a little bit faster. But then the most important part is you actually take a solid five minute break. You've chosen your task, you've worked on it, actively focused on it for 25 minutes, and then you take a five minute break. Five minute break away from your desk, away from your study space and away from anything related to that task. It's similar, the analogy that I use with most students is, is a computer. When you've got too many tabs open and too many things going, eventually the computer slows down. And what is the best way we know to fix a slower computer? It's to turn it off and on. So by taking these breaks every 25 minutes, you're actually allowing your brain to turn off and on and come back refreshed. Now, there are a multitude of benefits to this strategy. One, students can typically stay away from their phones for 25 minutes, but it's harder when you tell them three hours. Students typically can get distracted on their desk and start to think about other tasks and other things they have going on. And this is found to happen at around the 20 to 23 minute mark. So cutting them off when they start to have those distracting thoughts means they're maximizing their time. But there are some students that can work a little bit longer. There are students that can get into a flow state that lasts a little bit longer. So 25 minutes is a good place to start, particularly if the student is prone to getting distracted, but the model applies when you extend the session as well to perhaps a 30-minute study session and a 10-minute break, or even a 45-minute study session and a 15-minute break. The key here is task-based with a time constraint and a break. This has been shown globally for students and adults to improve productivity by up to 70%. By having clearly defined outcomes and end times, you're more likely to focus on the task at hand. And by taking regular breaks, you're less likely to fall into fatigue and boredom. This is probably the most important thing you'll take away from today, which is why I've spent a bit of time on it. Ask your student to implement some kind of method that encourages them to study in short, sharp bursts with really clearly defined breaks away from the desk. Now, the key to getting them back to the desk is make sure they set the timer for their break to five minutes so the timer goes off and they come back. Now, where we're at is we've got our list of tasks. We know how long we're going to dedicate to to them and for the remainder of this presentation I'm going to use the 25 minute and five minute break model as an example but we know the tasks we're doing we know that they're going to work in short sharp sessions so the next question I get from students is when should I study when can I find time when I've got all of these other commitments when should I actually sit down and do the work what we're going to do now is take that task-based approach and take those 25-minute study, 
30 minute study blocks, including the five minute break, and look at how we can actually put together a schedule and map out that student's week to show them that they've got so much time for all of the things they want to do, but also give them a little bit of structure. So some key things to note about this is that it actually starts at 6am. We know that not all teenagers will get up at 6am and we know that not all teenagers will do work before they go to school. But there has been a lot of research around doing some light passive study in the mornings before you get to school to actually get the brain going. And this could be in transit or over breakfast. So we have included that morning time. And the other thing you'll notice is that they're in 30 minute blocks. 30 minute blocks one shows us that we have so much more time in the day than we think, as opposed to hour blocks, which really limits us. And it also allows us to really strategically plan our 25-minute sprints of study. So what we're going to look at for the remainder of the session today is how to actually create a study session and leverage what we've spoken about, leverage task-based learning and leverage the use of short, sharp, study sessions. Now we're going to look at creating a study schedule. Now there were some clearly defined steps here that the order is particularly important because it is aimed to both support the student and show them that it's not too overwhelming but also build the week in a way that is flexible as well as balanced between school and life. So if you are going to go and implement this schedule at some point, make sure you're following these steps in order. And the other thing worth noting is that for the purpose of this presentation, I'm laying it out on basically an Excel spreadsheet. I strongly suggest that you spend some time laying out your student's week. Sit with your, your child or your student or yourself if you are a student here today and map out the week here but then you can put it in place using calendars and reminders and diaries. But the visual representation that you get from mapping out your week like this is really important for what we're trying to achieve. We now look at the steps of creating a study schedule. The first step is counterintuitive in that we're actually going to add all of our non-negotiable non-study activities. So all of the times in the week that we actually can't study. Now, this is really, really important in showing the student how much of their life is not school related to help them feel a little bit more comfortable when we do add the school related tasks in. But in saying that, the first non-study period is their actual school day. As much as they feel like school is study time, it's technically not the time that we are referring to, we want to be able to encourage them to work outside of those school hours. Learning and studying are slightly distinct in this situation where learning is that initial exposure to new information and studying is a revision. So learning in this case is a non-study activity and that's why we've mapped out school. So for the purpose of this, you'll notice that Wednesday is cut in half because most schools have a half day at some point in the week, maybe a Wednesday, it may be a Thursday, it may be a Friday. Um, but it's really important that it's accurate because every pocket of time we can find is going to help, particularly heading into VCE. So once we've put school there, then the student might have sporting commitments. Now, it could be sport, it could be music, it could be theatre, it could be 
anything, could be tutoring, could be any activity that they know has a set time every week, which they know they are not able to study in. So putting that in, mapping that out is really, really important. If there is a significant amount of travel time, also add that in as well. But for this example, we haven't. I'm trying to keep it as general as possible to make sure that everyone can connect to it in some way for their family. After they put in their sporting commitments or music commitments, their extracurricular, they might have work. A lot of students uh, heading into VCE will have on average one and a half shifts, which is one shift around the seven hour mark and one shift around the three to four hour mark. So putting that in their schedule is particularly important. We usually encourage the students to avoid having any more than one eight week night on their work roster. While it's not always viable, it just means that they can have a little bit more of a separation between work and school and they can dedicate their weeknights to school and their weekends potentially to work. Um, so if you have a student or if you are a student in VCE, just try to be considerate about the amount of time you spend at work um, because between the travel time, working, and then coming back probably exhausted, it makes it a little bit hard to fit in some other activities. Then we put in family and friends time. So this is very important and some students will have a lot more than others. Family time includes dinner. Family time includes if you guys all get together and watch Survivor on a Thursday and Saturday night. Um, family time includes anything or any time that you know you won't be able to study. I've kept it quite light on here, but there might be more um, times during the week, shows you watch together, if you go watch a sibling play sports, um, anything that happens if you go see Nan and Pop every day on a Saturday, anything you know is consistent or even uh, semi-consistent, make sure it's in there, as well as time with friends on a Saturday, which I've added here. So what we've spent these first few minutes doing is actually showing the student how much time they're not spending studying. It's showing the student that after we put your friends in there and your family in there and your sporting commitments and your work commitments, look at how much time is left. Look at how many free spots there are for you to potentially fit other activities. Some of my students have actually actively put in one block after school for social media. Now, there's two reasons this happens. One, they know they're going to do it, so they're not going to lie to themselves. But two, by actually visualising that social media time on their schedule, they know that they've allowed time for it. It actually makes it easier for them to put the phone away between their first social media block and their last one, which might be at 8.30 or 9 o'clock. So adding anything actively in there, even distractions, can be really helpful. If you know that your student gets distracted by gaming, put some gaming blocks in there at 8.30 or nine o'clock or even when they first come back from school, not advised, but some students do choose that. So to show them that we are allowing time for the things that you love, but only if we allow times for the things that you need to do. So this first step's really important in framing the activity for your students. So we've now put in all of the non-negotiable non-study activities. Now we need to figure out from the gaps, where can we fit in some schoolwork? For the next few sections, we are going to do an average student's schedule. Average being that they study a moderate amount to maintain decent grades. 
if your student is looking to study more or excel or is looking to get into accelerated classes they might need to add a little bit more if your student is doing fewer subjects or looking at doing um, vocational work or, or vcal which is which we're transitioning away from then perhaps they might need a little bit less but this is just an average student schedule um, that will go through now and step two is to add some general school work blocks on weeknights and weekends. Now it's important at this stage that they're just general blocks because we're going to make them a little bit more specific as we proceed. So if we're looking at the schedule now, at each stage when you're building this schedule with your student or if you're building it yourself, you really want to ask yourself, is it reasonable? Or ask your student, is it reasonable? And is it realistic? Because if they say, this is unreasonable and unrealistic, then there's no point in setting this schedule. But I often ask students, is it reasonable and realistic for you to get two 25 minute blocks in after dinner most nights and just after school on a Friday? Is it reasonable for you to get two 25 minute blocks in? That language of two 25 minute blocks, I have never been told by a student that no, that is unreasonable because you're not telling them, can you study for two hours after dinner or can you write an essay or can you do this? No, can you get two 25 minute blocks in? Most of the time they will say yes. I suggest if you're looking at accelerating perhaps uh, three or even four, noting that that's only bringing the total up to an hour and a half two hours after dinner but that is the first question I would pose to them the second thing is these days that they finish early are really good days to maximize their school time it's essentially time that they have won that they wouldn't have had otherwise so a good use of time on these days is perhaps to stay back at school if it's possible for two 25 minute blocks to get these done before they come back home. And then perhaps after allowing some travel time, given that they have training on Tuesday and Thursday and work on Monday, Wednesday is really their day to get in as many blocks as they can. Now you'll notice that there is actually four hours of work technically on this Wednesday. But what if we rephrase that to, can you get two 25 minute blocks in before you come home? Yes. Can you do another two 25 minute blocks before you have a snack or after you have a snack even. Yes, then you can take a half an hour break and do whatever you want. Do you think you could sneak in another two 25 minute blocks before dinner? Typically the answer is yes, because they can see that in that time, there's actually also two and a half hours of free time for them to do what they want to do. So by changing the language and by distributing it slightly differently, you're allowing the student to buy in to this form of schedule, as opposed to telling them study four hours on Wednesday. So a lot of language, a lot of using these shorter study blocks and a lot of encouraging them to use that time and be reasonable because they can't study any more than two blocks on a Monday, Tuesday or Thursday. Then given that this student schedule is quite heavy on work and extracurricular activities, in VCE, they need to make a commitment to find more time. So some places that you can find more time in the mornings before you go to school. Now, this is, doesn't necessarily mean you wake up and write a whole essay before you go to school, but it could be revising some cue cards or some soft work. 
one 25 minute block in the morning. I can guarantee most of them are spending about 40 minutes on social media before they go to school. So just replacing half of that time with some light study. And even if it's encouraged around the breakfast table or in the car on the way to school as well, always helpful. Using part of their lunchtime. Now, lunchtime is a really, really important time to take a break and socialize. It's actually more likely that they're going to use their study periods for this, but it was too hard to represent the study periods in the schedule. But basically that yellow block on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday in the middle of their school day represents their study periods, represents periods where they finish early and get a chance to finish some homework at school and represents a lunchtime that they might need to use knowing that they have a four hour shift that night. So really um, getting them to think about what pockets of time they have and can use and asking them again, is it reasonable for you to just spend 25 minutes of your free period completing a homework task? And finally, this student also fits in a couple of sessions on a Sunday morning, goes to work, and then Sunday night is a really great time to revise for the week coming up. But you'll notice that we put nothing on Saturday and nothing on Friday night. We typically do want to give some students a break to maintain that balance. But if this student prefers to study on the days where they've got sports and their friends as opposed to work, then we would work through that. There is no one size fits all when it comes to a schedule, but you really want to look at putting about six 25 minute blocks as a minimum over the weekends for students who are looking to achieve a little bit more, perhaps looking at eight to 10. So what we've done here is basically said on a week where I could possibly study in every gap that I can find with no more than one hour in a row, according to this schedule, these are all the spots that I would feel comfortable and it is reasonable for me to study in. Every student will be different. Some will be heavier after dinner. Some will be heavier before dinner. Some will be heavier on the weekends. But really finding those pockets of time is really important before we go into the next stage. Now, the next stage, because we are working on a task-based level as opposed to a time-based level, is to actually categorise each of these blocks as either homework or study. Homework being the tasks that they are assigned that have clear due dates and study being those proactive tasks that they're doing to revise existing knowledge and preparing for tests. So when we look at this, I often get asked, when is the best time to do homework? Now, it's always best to prioritize things with a due date and homework is typically a form of revising the content that the student has learned in class that day. So the closer they can get their homework done to the time that they've learned the information, the better. So typically their homework it, using their study periods to revise their home, to do their homework is a really good option and getting it out of the way as your first study block is a really good option. Now we've allowed for two blocks, just keeping in mind that this is an average schedule for a VCE student because as you actually progress into VCE, it's lighter on the assigned tasks and in, more encouraging towards that study. But your student might need to increase the amount of homework the number of study blocks they are assigning to homework based on the workload that they are achieving. Another strategy you can use here is often some subjects are more homework heavy than others. So on the days where the student has maths and they know they'll need to do a few maths exercise, perhaps put a few more 
uh, homework blocks. On the days where they have English and humanities and typically aren't assigned homework tasks, then you can go heavier on the study block. So being really conscious of the schedule and what that what the requirement on the student is for each of those days is also going to help uh, customise this to your own student's experience. After we've assigned the homework blocks, everything else is study. Now we will get to some study strategies because study itself is a little bit ambiguous, which brings us to the last step where we're going to further define these study blocks as either passive or active. Now, we have done a presentation before on the learning pyramid and passive and active, so I'd encourage you to go back and, and have a look at that, but I will give a brief explanation of it here as well. Essentially, passive study strategies are strategies where students are exposed to the information either by hearing it, reading it, seeing it, but they're not actually interacting with it in an active way. So some of these include reading notes, Rewriting notes in the exact same way that they're reading it is also passive because they're not actually doing any work. Watching videos, listening to recordings and going over notes, which I'm still unsure of exactly what that means. But when I ask students how they're currently studying, the answer is typically going over their notes. So these passive strategies have a place in learning, but also are really stopping students from properly reaching a stage of comprehension, testing their recall abilities, which is helping them in tests and exams, and really consolidating that knowledge. Because the reality is come test day, you're not tested on your ability to read or watch or listen, or even rewrite a set of notes word for word. You're tested on your ability to interpret, understand, and recall. So that's where we come to active study strategies. These are things like active summarizing. So posing questions in your summaries, reformatting the notes in class to a way that is more representative of your understanding, using your own words, using diagrams, right? answering questions. So doing test questions, potentially looking at exam questions for VCE students. I've got most of my students are actually looking at VCAR exam questions now, even though their exams are in eight months, getting that exposure to questions now allows them to practice their recall, completing quizzes, creating recordings themselves. So as opposed to listening re to recordings, actually create recordings of their own learnings and then converting notes. Now, this is where it will vary from student to student. Some students like tables or diagrams, others like mind maps, but that process of converting their notes from whatever they learn in class to a format, format that resonates with them is a really important learning experience. So in terms of where these strategies are placed and how much time and effort you should dedicate to them, we love to refer to the 80-20 rule. That's 20% of your time and effort should be in that passive space for students that are really looking to push themselves. It's probably closer to 10 to 15. But for your general students who do probably enjoy uh, reading and watching videos and listening to recordings, 20% of your time and effort should be in that passive space, while 80% is in a more active learning experience. 
So when we're putting our schedule together, when we're defining our list of tasks, when we're deciding what to do with our study blocks, we can make some decisions about passive and active study, which makes us more likely to get a task done at a certain time of day, but also over our week, make sure that we're doing enough active study. So with the passive and active study blocks in mind, step four is to actually assign these study blocks specifically as passive or active. Now, a really good time to do passive work is when the student probably doesn't really want to sit there and write a whole essay or do a whole practice uh, set of practice questions, but it would benefit them to do some light reading or light reviewing. Now, some of these times are in the mornings or it could be straight when they come home from school, their first block. And this is more of a priming activity. It's priming them for school. It means that when they get to school, they're not 30 minutes after they've rolled out of bed and they haven't really thought about anything school related. What they're doing instead is they're actually showing up to school with some exposure to the content, feeling a little bit in the zone when it comes to studying. Um, and it makes them more likely to start the day with a bang. So before school is a really good time, as well as the Sunday night wind down, which is that final block on a Sunday, which means the rest of the time should be active. This is probably the hardest push. These yellow blocks are the hardest blocks to get students to do. And this is where a really strong motivational push comes in. And you can either use a retrospective or a forward thinking form of motivation. It's, you know, what would you have done differently in your last test to avoid that result? And they typically say, study more, revise this, do some practice questions. What if we made that a part of your routine so you never miss it again? What if we make sure that we're revising every day so you can avoid that last minute three-day cram because for the last four days you've been doing practice questions? Really having that retrospective conversation with them or the proactive conversation going, particularly for year 12s, the information you're learning now, you will be tested on in eight months' time. For your 11s, the information you're learning now, you'll be tested on in three months' time. How likely are you to remember the information you've learned today in three months' time? Very unlikely. So instead of pushing to study for all of your subjects in the last three weeks before the exams, what if we did one 25-minute block of practice questions for each subject every week? Do you think that would take some pressure off? Yes. Do you have 25 minutes for each subject in a whole week? Yes, these are typically the answers we get. So is it reasonable to ask you to do 25 minutes of active question answering for each subject each week to prepare yourself for what's coming? Typically, yes, particularly for year 12s. So that's where this model really comes together. Now, we're not going to do it today because it takes a little bit too much time to, to sort of get into the nitty gritty, but to take this schedule to the next level, what you can actually do is assign certain tasks to these active study strategies. So, for example, on a Wednesday, you might focus on answering questions and active summarising, whereas on a Sunday, you might use those active blocks for completing quizzes and answering questions. By clearly defining them, it eliminates this chance that the student goes, I don't know what to do. 
it says active study, but I wasn't sure what to do. With it clearly being defined as answering maths questions or a complete quiz for biology or actively summarised notes for geography. It eliminates that ambiguity and you can also map out your week to be evenly distributed between your subjects. So when we're looking at this schedule, you want to evenly distribute those yellow blocks over your subjects. And at this point, there's a few things to know. There's no study on a Saturday. There's no study on a Friday night. There are plenty of breaks in between. Most nights, they're not even touching their books till eight o'clock. Right? This is not going to work for everyone. Some need to be split and do all their study between four and six and nothing after dinner. Some need to do more on the weekends and less during the week. But this is just for the purpose of distributing time. I've put together this example schedule. They don't do any more than an hour in a row. And this is actually 15.5 hours of schoolwork. No more than one hour in a row. Friday night and Saturday with no schoolwork and school life balance. 15.5 hours of schoolwork. If I told a student they need to study for 15 and a half hours, they would probably tell me something I can't say on this webinar. But if I tell students, is it reasonable for you to do two 25-minute blocks after dinner, Monday to Thursday? Is it reasonable for you to do two sets of two 25-minute blocks on a Sunday evening? Is it reasonable for you to do one 25-minute block of homework somewhere in your free periods? They can start to see that when it's clearly defined, they know what they have to do and they know when they're going to do it, they're a lot more likely to comply. And without them even knowing, it adds up very quickly. So 15.5 hours of study in this schedule, if we are talking hours, but we're looking at task-based. This schedule allows them to get all their homework done, enough passive blocks to pre-read all of their notes for their upcoming lessons, and enough active blocks to actively summarise and do a set of practice questions for each of their subjects. So we're really starting to look at a schedule that has quite a substantial amount of active work. But remember that life happens. So it's important to keep the schedule flexible and it's important that the student knows that if they don't get it done exactly the way it's mapped out, that's okay. There's a few tips that we can use to keep it flexible. First of all, focus on time limits, not time frames. This is potentially the most important. As opposed to the conversation of you are going to study between eight and nine every evening after dinner, I want you to fit in two 25-minute blocks between dinner and bedtime. Time limits, not time frames. Because we all know that if that student misses that eight o'clock start point and it's 8.03, they're going to make an excuse to start at 8.30. It's a very common little dissonance thing that happens to most people. Whereas if they don't start on the dot, they're going to find an excuse to find another time. But a 25-minute timer can start whenever. So focus on time limits, not time frames. Not you're going to get up and do that work for 25, not you're going to get up and do the work from 7 to 7.30 a.m. Can you sneak in a 25-minute block between the time you wake up and the time you walk through the school gate? If that is in the bus, if that is for breakfast, if that's in bed, whatever it is for you, can you fit that in? So time limits, not time frames, allows for a level of flexibility where they don't feel too rigid. Prioritise tasks with deadlines. So you'll notice that we put the homework blocks first. There's a different camp, a different school of thought here. 
where for high achievers who are really looking to push that 98-99, prioritising active study is potentially more important. Um, but for the purpose of 99% of students, prioritise your homework before your study just to make sure you're not falling behind on outcomes and you're not missing the basics. The short blocks inherently create flexibility because it's hard to find time to fit in a three to four hour block, but it's much easier to find time for 25 minutes. So sticking to these short blocks creates more flexibility. And finally, schedules can and must change. So whether it is weekly, if you have altering work commitments, or at the start of every term, you might revisit it and change it. It is unlikely that your conditions now are the same conditions that you're going to have in term two or term three. So make sure that you're reviewing that schedule regularly. And remember that this is just a map. Implementation can come through calendars, can come through diaries, can come through to-do lists. But taking a second to map out your week to really show the student that we want them to achieve work-life balance, that they can fit a decent amount of study in without overwhelming themselves is really the aim of the game. So with all of that in mind, I tried to cram a lot into a short session. Questions? Well, Danny, you've done it again. You've actually, this is how organised this lady is. She has managed to answer pretty much all of the questions. All of the questions that have been asked that have been asked of us, but there is one, and I and I think this is you know it often comes up. Is there a difference between techniques for boys and girls in terms of study? I think we probably need to move away from the school of thought that it's boys and girls more that it is types of motivation, what motivates them to actually work. Um, their goals because I have worked with all genders in all age groups and and there doesn't seem to be a distinction cognitively between boys and girls but more so I can probably categorize them as intrinsically or extrinsically motivated you know motivated by the stick or the carrot like all of these old school motivational models are probably more important because if I know that a student is motivated by gaming Immediately, people typically think boys, but I have more gaming girls students than I have gaming boys students, right? So if I categorize them as boy or girl, I won't be able to service these students properly. But by knowing gaming is a motivation, putting time for gaming in their schedule becomes important, whether they're a male or female or whatever gender they, they are. So putting time in their schedule for gaming is important. If they're socially motivated, showing them that their Fridays and Saturdays are going to be empty becomes particularly important for scheduling. If they're academically driven, showing them the data that active or proactive active study strategies throughout the week means that they're probably going to load them up. So I would move away from the school of thought, male, female, boy, girl, and think about what motivates them and how can you use the schedule to leverage it because there is nothing that mapping out the week can't fix. You just got to find what it is for them. For some students, it's they have to watch the footy on a Friday and a Saturday. So we don't put study there. For some students, it's music, whatever it might be. Um, I think that is probably more important to consider. And I love that you've parents, you know, you know what motivates your child. So you're able to be there to help them, you know, uh, to find those those things that excite them and um, those rewards and, and so forth. So your best place to have that discussion, which is wonderful. Now, 
here's one. This is going to be a bit tricky. <laughs> but how to keep a year 11 student motivated and keep them going right through to the end of year 12? Yeah. Is this something they can, because they get, I know they get a, bit, a little bit of study fatigue. How do we keep them going? It's a really tricky one. And again, it does come back to motivation, but the proposition that I have found works best with my year 11 students is first explaining the accumulative nature of unit one and two and three and four. So the reality is that their exams at the end of year 12 are an accumulative assessment of unit one, two, and three, four, really, because unit three and four typically lean very heavily. So year 12 content typically leans very heavily on year 11. So when I tell them that what they're learning right now in week three of unit one in year 11, they're going to be tested on in 18 months. It typically worries them a little bit, but a healthy worry, because I go, do you think you're going to remember what you're learning right now in 18 months? And typically the answer is no. And then we introduce ideas like spaced repetition, which I believe I covered in one of the other workshops, which you guys should definitely go check out. But the concept that the only way to retain information is repeated exposure. So I sit them down and I say, look, we don't need to go hard now for an exam that's in 18 months. But do you have 25 minutes a week to revise what you learned last week? And if you're doing that every week, you're revising the last week and then you're cycling through, do you have 25 minute week? Yeah, 25 minutes a week to revise what you learned last term. And we start to make it feel slightly more reasonable. And with that accumulative effect, they're doing two things. They're studying for their SACs actively every day. They're studying for their exams actively. They're avoiding the cram, um, but they're also relieving pressure for them later because whether they vocalise it or not now, they are worried about next year. They are worried about year 12, but they think they're going to take it easy this year and then go hard next year. Just pose the question, if you were examined on what you've learnt today in 18 months, do you think that you'll remember it? And that typically gets them on board. I know. And I love how you just break this down into very, very simple, easy to follow steps, Deanna, because um, it's the small steps that win the day, you know, and I, I think that these are all things that people can do, you know, that yeah, that our students can do. We, and as parents, we can encourage them to do as well. Okay, sticking to the schedule. I know I was terrible with this as my children. We'd yeah. have the I would have the schedule up there and I I was really torn to say, this is where you should be now. <laughs> yeah. So I guess it, there's a few different things. And again, every student's going to be different. Some students need an accountability partner. Now, whether that's, if there's multiple kids in the house, having similar schedules, as in this is a time we're all going to sit down and study, this is a time we're all going to sit down and eat, that kind of bouncing off each other is really helpful. If they don't, a gentle nudge from mum and dad is often helpful, but sometimes it's just a reminder of some sort, whether that is a physical reminder on their phone, right? Because we know that they're sitting on their phones. If a reminder comes up on their phone every day at four o'clock or 4.25, get ready for your 4.30 study session, right? Sometimes it is just a gentle reminder in that way. But mostly it's, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. So if they've created that schedule, but they're never looking at it and never opening it and never seeing it again, it's going to be hard to follow. But if it's on the fridge for when they get distracted and go to the fridge, if it's above their desk for when they're sitting down to study, if it's stuck on the inside of their diary, and if it's their desktop background on their laptop, that visibility and presence of it is good. 
but one of the more effective, given that you are operating on a task-based model, is actually having a physical checklist for them to check off each day or each week, depending on the student. Most students, regardless of how high-performing or how non-motivated they are, cannot stand to see a list that is not ticked off. <laughs> so there are a few ways you can then leverage that list. Most students will be intrinsically motivated to complete that list on their own, but some parents have implemented, unless you get these things ticked off, you don't get your PlayStation remote. I don't encourage this approach, but it might be what we need to get the habit started. Right. So show me that you've ticked these four things off and you'll get the controller is also a good way to, to sort of monitor it. But having it visually in everyone's faces, having reminders and um, having some kind of checklist is a good start. I, I love that. And I love how you've got working out that schedule. I think because sometimes they can feel so overwhelmed to think that they've got no time, that they have to be sh absolutely shackled to their desk for the, for the next, you know, however long. And in actual fact, there's an awful lot of time there that's, that, that is free, free time, family time, friends time. So it's very easy to get that balance sorted out. Can I just say a thank you once again, Diana? You are always so on task, so organized you're everything you are you embody everything that you are teaching us in these sessions and uh and it's just so so simple and accessible so thank you so much for taking great mystery out of all of it for us um, and giving us some really practical tips because i know that you can never have enough structured style in your life it's always always handy so thank you once again and i know that you're coming back to see us again later in the year where we're going to be taking these themes around study and, and, and tapping into that wisdom um, that, you, that you impart so beautifully. So we've got four more times in the year, which we're really looking forward to. So once again, thank you, Deanna. Thank you, everybody. Good evening. Thank you to our guest speaker. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. Want to know more about this podcast and other VPC podcasts? Please visit the VPC website, vicparentscouncil.vic edu.au and leave a review. We would also welcome you to contact us if you would like to be our guest or if you have a topic around parenting and education. Thank you to Melbourne singer Emma Sydney for her permission to use her soundtrack, Cherish. Until next time, thank you for listening.